Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm so glad to be here with you today on another episode of The Bright Side with Technicia. I would probably say I can't even um, think of how long I've been with you guys. I think since 2014. Um, But, yeah, I've been with you guys for a minute. Now, I know I haven't been having as many shows because, of course, things have gotten so busy, and then it takes work, too. So, also, um, you know, you have to get your guests. They also have a busy life, so everybody has to work to, together to um, um, to bring this production all all together at one. But I hope everyone is having a blessed day and is getting so close to the weekend. Um, if you haven't heard, you know, they've been talking about the stimulus checks. So that's mostly been the um, talk here. Stimulus checks are going on. Um, you're supposed to get another stimulus check and then $2,000. So if you haven't received any of that, then definitely make sure you um, look into that most definitely. Um, But today is a beautiful day today. It's a little chilly outside in Atlanta, of course, but that's to be expected. It's spring weather. We know how the weather goes here in Atlanta. But enough about that. I really want to get to the reason why you're here today, and I know that you already seen the topic. And this is mostly speaking to a lot of my women today. Um, so I definitely hope you have your ears and your eyes open. But with me today is a special guest, and she's going to cope you through her trials and tribulations and also to help you understand that even if you're going through that, you're not alone, and she's going to be able to help you through this process. But here with me is Rebecca Bay Thompson, who is an experienced speaker, writer, consultant, facilitator, and coach for more than 30 years in the manufacturing aerospace and healthcare industries. She has been an internal and external consultant for many years, working with such companies as Eastman Kodak, General Motors, and Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina, mostly in the fields of leadership and team development, work systems redesign, organizational change, and cultural change. Currently, she is the principal of Evolve Without Limits, a coaching and consulting practice, but that is only part of her story. The rest is a chronicle of personal courage and spiritual expansion that defies conventional wisdom. From an engineer skeptic, she made a fascinating right turn. Frustrated by her now ex-husband's increasing alcoholism, Rebecca embarked on a healing journey which led her to explore a variety of spiritual practices. She learned how to love herself, freedom with a situation in which she thought she was stuck. Along the way, she became a Reiki um, master certified crystal therapist and shamanic coach, hope I said that correctly, and incorporates these areas of expertise into her consulting and coaching practice. But it's her talk with the moon that would amaze you. That's right. You heard me right, the moon. We're going to get in more details about that. But Rebecca tells that story in her new book, Rebecca Rising, How I Found Courage and Self-Love Through Friendship, Coaching, and Conversations with the Moon, a memoir chronicling her healing journey 
In addition, she and her friend and colleague Darlene Ryan co-authored Sunday at 8.30, Two Decades of Life Planning. That book shares the life planning process Darlene and Rebecca personally used and honed for over 20 years and includes helpful worksheets for creating your own life plan. Rebecca is passionate about helping people to learn about self-love, to recognize their own strengths, and to live with freedom, passion, and intention. So without further ado, I love to bring Rebecca on so she could tell you a little bit more about her story. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure having you on the air today. Well, Technesia, thank you so very much for having me. It is my pleasure and honor to be with you today. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. You're welcome. Where are we coming in from? Where are we going live from? I know I'm in Georgia. I, it's pretty cold here. Is it cold there? I'm in Southern California, but uh, I am an East Coast Ooh. girl at heart, uh, born and raised in Pennsylvania, and I lived in North Carolina for 10 years. So it's wonderful oh, to talk to somebody uh, on the East uh, Coast. Thank you. I am a Southern baby, uh, born and raised <laughs> in Atlanta, still here to this day. It's not cold, but it's chilly. So I'm kind of wasn't expecting that, even though it's spring. I was wanting to heat up a little bit, but it'll come sooner or later. So I'm not going to complain. <laughs> <Sure will. laughs> so, Rebecca, we gave a little introduction, but it's nothing like telling your own story from your own mouth. So tell us a little bit about who you are. What's your story? Sure. Um, yeah. So as I said, I, I started life as a small town girl in Western Pennsylvania and I went to college at Penn state and I majored in industrial engineering and um, married my college boyfriend. And after we graduated, we moved to Rochester, New York and I got a job with Kodak and um, my work, uh, I was an engineer, as I said, and um, shifted kind of more into an organization development role, which is more about um, what motivates people and developing teams and developing leaders. And um, I worked there for over 20 years and have continued to hold um, similar jobs in various companies. Um, but it was it was uh, kind of gradual as my, my husband's um, business, he started his own business as an engineer, and it began to fail, and he unfortunately succumbed to alcoholism. And... Um, tried to get other jobs, you know, his business was failing, so he just kept trying to get jobs, and he would get a job for a while, and he'd lose it, and um, so it was hurting us financially, it was hurting our marriage, and I started to explore some other things. I went on kind of a spiritual journey, I think, maybe to just distract myself from what was going on in my life, and it just uh, caused a lot of shifts for me. Oh, wow. It's, it's amazing, and someone out there is probably having a similar situation alcoholism is a big thing people don't think of it as serious because we don't talk about it but those are one of the things that i think should always be talked about that could become a serious habit um do you know of, of today have he overcame that situation rebecca um, I don't think so. I'm sorry to say. Um, we've been divorced for two years. He actually moved out about four years ago. Um, he uh, moved back to Pennsylvania and actually um, is remarried. And so I, I wish him all happiness, but I, I do not think that he has uh, gone into recovery. Well, sir, out there. I hope you get the help that you actually need, but you're going to have to first admit to yourself that you have an issue like that. I worked with a young lady at my job, 
and she had that big issue. I think she realized it when she got into an actual almost fatal car accident, almost lost her mm. life. That's when she came to. Uh, she's doing better now, um, and I hope that she continues to do that. Don't get influenced. But, you know, you see it on the shows, and we, we look at these shows, but in reality, it's really terrible. That stuff can send you to a path you don't want to go to. I have seen it done to people, and I definitely thank God I, I never experienced that myself. But I'm glad you was able to get out of that situation yourself so it didn't take you down, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is terrible. It's a, it's a very sad thing, you know, because, I mean, my ex-husband was a very good person, and he was good at what he did, um, and he was a good father and, you know, community member, and that just kind of took over his life, and uh, a lot of a lot of the good in his life, he lost it, you know, because of that, and it's, it's really unfortunate. So I would encourage anyone, yeah. whether you are the alcoholic or, you know, whether you have the problem with alcohol yourself or a family member does, to get help in any way you can. Um, I had a lot yes, of help now. from friends, and also I went to Al-Anon, you know, so I, it's a wonderful organization. I certainly encourage people to take advantage of that. Yes, I, I certainly agree with you on that. Now, uh, Rebecca, getting into it, so how did you go from, one thing from being an engineer, corporate consultant, to someone have a conversation with a moon goddess. <laughs> I know, right? That sounds so crazy. Um, and it was very gradual, and it didn't happen overnight. And I think of it as kind of a, you know, pearls on a string, like one thing at a time. Um, every experience was, you know, just just like a bead on a string. And I'd, I'd go to a church or a seminar or a class, and I'd meet someone, and I'd get invited to something else, and one thing led to another. And it just kept opening me up, you know, and continues to, in fact, you know, every experience leads to another experience and I learn something new and um, I just become more aware of, you know, who I am as a spiritual being. Um, so that's a lot of uh, what I tell in my book. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it started from, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, uh, Rebecca, I love that you are sharing. I love that you are sharing this. Um, I would never have thought about talking to the moon, but when I think about that, I don't think of it as being weird. I think of it as talking spiritually to God. I mean, we got the heaven, the stars, the earth, all that's combined together, so why would anybody take that out of uh, context? I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, was that the reason to lead in to why you wrote the book? Um, yeah, actually, um, why I wrote the book, uh, my friend Darlene, uh, we, we co-authored the book Sunday at 830, and it, it's all about this uh, retreat process that we do every year where we plan our life for the next year and set goals in a lot of different areas. So she started talking to me about my spiritual journey. She said, you know, you really ought to write a chapter for our book about your spiritual journey. And so I started doing that, and I said to her, this is way more than a chapter. I think it's a whole book on its own. And she said, oh, yeah, go for it. So um, that's really what led to it. And I started writing about all the different um, spiritual practice that I had learned about and my conversations with the moon. And I realized as I was writing it that that spiritual journey is what led me to find the strength to end my marriage. And it was kind of a cathartic experience just writing it. Okay, right. And it's a very interesting book. I mean, when you get into details, it pulls out everything. It's very, um, to me, it's transparent. So we're definitely going to get into details of that too, ladies, where you can purchase the book. So when sure. it comes to your Thank children, you. how, you're welcome. 
when it comes to your children, Rebecca, how do they feel about you, you releasing that book? Um, you know, they have been incredibly supportive. Um, they knew I was writing it, and they didn't want to talk about it while I was writing it. I think they were afraid of what I was going to say uh, about them or, you know, about their life. And um, But since I came out, they have been very complimentary and very supportive and, and just very sweet. And I intentionally didn't write a lot about what was going on with them at the time. I and mean, during the time period of the book, they were teenagers and um, college students, and um, there certainly were lots of stories I could tell. Um, but I chose not to because it's really not my stories to tell. I'll let them write their own books. I know that's right. Everybody got a story to tell. You got to tell your own. <laughs> I know that's right, Rebecca. I hear you on that one. Now, uh, what was it exactly like to you reliving some of the painful memories of your ex-husband's alcoholism while writing this book? You know, it was very hard. I mean, sometimes it, it was embarrassing in ways that I put up with some of the things I did for so long. And when I started to put it into writing, it was it was just hard to believe that, that I tolerated um, this behavior and how I was treated and the things that happened. And I, I just put up with it for years and years. So it was it was embarrassing, to be honest. Wow. And I know, I mean, that that's why I say it takes it takes bold moves to do that and to think I got to, it feels like, like, just like I asked, you got to relive all that, those memories. I'm going down back to memory lane to write <laughs> this book. That that took a lot of courage, though, Rebecca. Well, thank you for that. I mean, yeah, thank you. A lot of people have said that to me. And, you know, if it can help other women or other people who are in similar situations that feel like they're stuck or, you know, that are tolerating things that, they shouldn't be, you know, if, if it can help someone else to have the courage to leave, then, then it's worth it. Yes, it. yes, it certainly is. I'm in total agreement with that. I can't even imagine, so I can't even, but I can definitely empathize. But the outcome is that you became a very strong woman through this, and that's what I want people to know. They feel that what they go through or somebody else have done to them, that puts them on stop. But Rebecca is living proof that don't have to put you actually on stop. You make that choice to, to decide whether I need to continue. Would you let that hurt, that pain stop you? Then it wins. You let all that anger, all that emotion keep controlling you. And you can sit there. You can say, no, I'm not. That's exactly what you're doing. If you're not going to make a move on it, you're still living in the past. Somebody talked to you. you bringing it up every five minutes. Uh, you get in a relationship. you making that toxic. So that's why I say Rebecca made that step, and that's what you have to do. You have to make that step no matter what it is. If it's alcoholism, if it's somebody beating you, almost your eye about to come out, if it's abuse in a relationship, then you have to make a move and make that decision for yourself to move on. Love, what, like Ken Turner said, what love got to do with you? Gotta, you got to put those four letters <laughs> to the side and really understand what love means. And that's I feel like that's what you did, Rebecca. I mean, of course, somewhere I love you, and he probably loved you, but at the same time, that bottle took over. The alcohol took over. You got to, If you love me, then you got to put that down, and that's when you have to step to the side like, okay, I see. I, actually, you don't because you now not only you hurting me, you hurting yourself. So I, I, that's why I, I commend you. That takes everything that you have done up to now takes bold moves. And the fact that you did it 
so your children don't have to go through that and keep reliving those moments. Awesome job that you have done, Mom. Now, a lot of people, you know, probably have to be wondering right now, even on this radio show, why did you hang in there so long with your marriage? Why didn't you just just leave, throw it all away? I know. I have had friends ask me that, even, you know, while I was in the middle of it, you know, why don't you just leave? And I really was afraid of being alone and that I wouldn't be able to handle it financially or otherwise. I'd never lived by myself. Um, we got married right out of college, and I, just, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't, I didn't believe in my own worth, you know. And later, my friend Anne um, that was uh, coaching with me, um, we went through a coaching program together and tell that story in my book too. Um, she told me how frustrated she was that I couldn't see that I already was handling everything. I was paying for everything. I was managing the household, you know, cause he's drinking and losing jobs. And um, I, I couldn't see it, you know, looking back, um, things are more clear. It's hard to see it when you're in the middle of it. And plus he kept getting new jobs and we moved a couple of times and I kept wanting to see each of these occasions as a fresh start. I guess I'm an optimist at heart. And nothing, and, and nothing wrong with that. And there's so many women who are in that same boat. But unlike, unlike them, you actually were able to get yourself out, even though you stayed a long time. But you finally, that light bulb came on. It's time for me to move on. But like as you said, people be afraid to be alone. Um, mm-hmm. And I spoke about that a long I spoke about that a while, too, you know. And it is true. People be afraid to be alone. I told somebody, I said, you need a puppy. You're going to have to get you a puppy or something. <laughs> but see, you got to change <laughs> See, the thing to me, <laughs> see, the thing to me about life, you got to change, like, the seasons. You know, some people still want to wear shorts and sandals when it's cold. And, of course, of course you're not cold. You might have your body immune to that weather. But at the same time, you know it's winter. You know you're supposed to have on a nice uh, fur coat or something to keep you warm and snuggy so you don't end up with no pneumonia. And people are like that with relationships. They know it's time to change over, and they still want to be sure They don't have that self-worth or just even the fear part. Some people are just fearful. Um, and that's that's a whole nother that's a whole nother thing when you're fearful. But then it's another factor when you have children in, involved and the fact that you stay so long but then it came to the point I gotta put my children first because now I'm sacrificing their own safety. Because who knows what would have been in that move. You're you're alcoholic. You can lash out because you won't probably even remember that you lashed out. So with that being said, Rebecca, was there any time, anywhere in there, any fear for them? For my children? So, you know, I was, um, he was, he was a very gentle drunk, I would have to say. I was never afraid <laughs> for, um, <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but no, he was never, ever violent with me or my children. And he would just usually drink till he passed out, you know, and that's, uh, one of my friends said to me, well, that's, you know, as long as he doesn't drive, as long as he's just home drinking, that's okay. And it, and it <laughs> I mean, it was safe. Nobody was getting hurt, but we were getting hurt in that it was an, it was a neglect. You know, he was just, he was, I always said alcohol was his mistress. You know, he'd go in the garage and he'd drink beer and he'd pass out and that would be it. And I would have no companionship. Children had no father. And, um, you know, it, it was it was a, a neglect rather than a violent situation. But absolutely, if I thought there was any hint of violence, I would have left much, much sooner um, than I did. But, um, 
yeah, I just finally, I finally wanted more. You know, it just wasn't enough for me. Right. Right. And that's what it takes. You got to want more. Um, and Rebecca, mm-hmm. let's let's talk a little bit about the aspect of this book. Tell us about the spiritual journey aspects of this book. Uh, what were some of the things you did along the way? Um, probably like what was your spiritual background, starting point, and and why wasn't it satisfying, or and what were you actually looking for? Okay. Um, well, I was raised as a Presbyterian, and I've always liked church. <laughs> I just like it. I, I like the, the um, community aspect, and I like the music, and I was always in the church choir and teaching Sunday school and all those kinds of things, and I enjoyed it. And um, when I was still in living in Rochester, New York, I actually I, I was doing some diversity training, and I had a lot of gay friends and unfortunately heard a lot of stories about how they had been rejected by their churches or their families and um, that made me really sad, and it made me just really wonder, you know, what do I want to belong to? What do I want to be part of? And what does my church stand for? And um, so I wanted to be in a in an inclusive community and still be part of a faith community. Um, so when I moved to North Carolina, I took that opportunity to kind of look around at different churches, and I ended up joining a Unitarian church, um, which was very inclusive, and um, all kinds of people from all kinds of faiths journeys um, were there, and so I was exposed to a lot of different things, um, including Reiki, um, tarot, dowsing, crystals, all kinds of different things, and I tell about some of those adventures in my book, Um, and I eventually ended up in a unity church, which is where I still attend, Um, but I've just just learned to be open, (laughs) and I started out as a skeptic, you know, as I said, I was an engineer, and I was a girl from a small town and just had never been exposed to anything, you know, outside of my um, just average life. And um, it, it took, as I say, it was one step at a time and just learning one new thing after another. Right. I bet. Um, I even have a friend. She was raised up the same way, Presbyterian. Um, it was just totally a strict lifestyle for her, um, no cutting corners, that type of lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> it was no cutting corners at all. Uh, her, grandmother, her grandmother was strictly by the rules with that one as well, you know, never stepped out, stayed married to one man for 65 years until he just recently uh, passed this year. But it's just amazing, you know, the different cultures, different religions and everything, but we're all still tied to to one father, one God, Yahweh, however, Yahshua, however we want to call him, we still tie to him somehow. Um, now, in the book, because we talked a little bit about her in the introduction, you have a lot of conversations with your friend, Darlene. Tell us about <laughs> that relationship. I love her. I love yeah. that name. My mom's middle name was Darlene. Oh, really? Oh, how nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so Darlene and I became friends when we were both young moms and we were working at Kodak as industrial engineers and we started doing things together outside of work with our kids. We each had three, roughly the same ages. And at some point we took a course in life planning and Kodak lots, allowed us to take lots of training. And so we started using what we learned and we created a life plan for ourselves every year. So um, when we were living in the same city, I mean, we'd, we'd get together for lunch every week Um but then when I moved away, you know, I moved away to North Carolina in 2004, and um, we were crying. You know, we didn't know if we would still be able to do you know, our life plan. But we made a commitment that we would talk on the phone every week. 
and that we would get together in person twice a year. And we have uh, we have fallen through. We have followed through on that. And um, so that's where the title of the book uh, Sunday at eight thirty comes from because we kind of landed on that time at every Sunday at eight thirty Eastern time. That is when we talk, and we've been doing that for years to the point where our families even know, you know, hey, it's almost eight thirty. You know, call Darlene. You know. Um, so just to have that level of support and commitment from a friend is, is just indescribable. And she's helped me through everything that's happened in my life for over 20 years. Oh, wow. That's a good long time to be friends. You don't even find those mm-hmm. relationships. I say hold on to those. you got to hold on to the long time, the, the maybe a friendship. you got to hold on to a little something out here. But that's good when you can find somebody who's a good companion to hold you up through anything. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, another one of your main characters is your coaching buddy, Annie. Um, tell us about her and what she's meant to you. Yeah. So I met Ann through a coaching certification program that we both took at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. And we had a lot of occasions where we were paired up or worked in small groups to coach each other. So I got to know her through that. And I, I just thought she was one of the most interesting people I had ever met. And she, at the time, she was a professor of medieval history. And, and um, she's also a practicing witch. And she's a recovering alcoholic herself, so she had a lot of experience um, with that. And um, so after we left the program, she asked me if I wanted to continue coaching with her because we, in order to get certified as coaches, we had to have a certain number of coaching hours. Uh, hours that we were coaching other people. So we thought, well, if we coach each other, we can uh, earn hours more quickly. Um, and so the coaching I have received from her has just been invaluable. And she lives in New Mexico now. When I moved across the country from North Carolina to California, she was the one person I stopped to visit. And I visited her several times since. But um, she's been, been an incredible support to me. And she's also been kind of a, a informal Al-Anon sponsor in addition to a friend and coach. Oh, wow. So you got not only Darlene, but you got Annie, two women who you can actually depend on through the hard times and the bad times, the good times. So that's really good. And and the fact that she became your, your coaching buddy, you know, I love I love Annie and I love Darlene already because it's hard, especially with days and times. Now with females, it's like, wait a minute, it's hard for you to really connect with another person on the same spiritual level with you who has the same trust and love and heart like you. So I'm glad that she was able to have those bonding relationships with both of those women as of today. Now, um, how, how has coaching been a part of your healing journey, though? Yeah, coaching has been a part of my life for many years. And when I was still at Kodak, um, that's when I first heard of coaching. And we had a, a professional coach come in from outside. She didn't work for the company, but she came in and she coached some of the managers and staff. And she actually helped me make the decision to go back to grad school. Um, so that was my first experience with coaching. And, and I tell the story um, in Sunday at 830 about, you know, she asked me if I ever had any regrets. And I said, oh, I regretted that I that I never went to graduate school. And she said, well, you know, you could still go. And I had all these reasons why I couldn't, right? I didn't have the time. I didn't have the money. I had young kids and, you know, and she helped me to see that I, that I could, you know, and those were, that was just a story that I was telling myself, right? We tell ourselves all these things that we can't do when we really can, you know, if we really want to and we're determined. Um, So that was my kind of first introduction to coaching. And then later, 
um, I was asked to be responsible for the coaching program when I was at Blue Cross Blue Shield, and that's when I decided I wanted to become a coach and get certified in it. And so I went on to the Duquesne coaching program and met so many other coaches who've been important in my life and continue to be um, just, you know, one experience leading to another. Like I said, I have a coach now who has helped me through my divorce and through rebuilding my life. And I also do coaching myself. Um, So I offer coaching um, and I use the Sunday at 830 life planning process that we write about in our book and uh, help others through that process as well. Yes, ma'am. Now the moon. Now we have the moon goddess Diana, who is another of your primary characters. Uh, what was that about? Did she really tell you to go to a Barry Manilow concert? <laughs> yes, yeah, she actually did. Uh, so yeah, let me tell you a little bit about that. Um, when when we were in the coaching program, and I had met my friend Ian, and we were coaching each other. Um, we were introduced to a coaching process where we worked with our internal community, or some people call it like an internal board of directors. Um, so all those voices in your head, right, that, you know, tell you what to do or not to do. And not like crazy voices, but more like that good angel, bad angel on your shoulder kind of thing. Um, you know, all those voices in your head telling you how to deal with a problem. And sometimes they're conflicting, right? So I was trying to sort out what to do with my marriage. And I had all these voices. And some were telling me, you know, to stay with my ex and some were telling me to, to move on. And, you know, I didn't know what I, what to do. And I had, I had like a lot of different voices because some of them, you know, like you were saying earlier, the, you know, the religious um, aspect of you, you're, you've committed to be married for life. You know, I had that voice and then I had another voice saying, no, you're worth it, you know, move on and all this. Um, well, all of a sudden I got this new voice and I started to have dreams where this, all my voices were like people sitting around a table and they're all talking and debating and all of a sudden there was one flying over the top of them and yelling at them and saying you're missing the point you're missing the point and not long after that I had a couple dreams and then I uh, my dog woke me up in the night and she never did that they my dogs were good sleepers and but she kept like poking at me but I was like oh she must have to go out take the dog out there's this giant full moon in the sky and all I can say is it was like it was talking to me uh I don't I heard a voice in my head and that's what she said she said you're missing the point like the same things that the the flying um being had been saying in my dream and she said you're missing the point it's not about whether you you know move I was, I was debating my husband had gotten a job in another state and I was debating whether I should move or whether I should stay and she said, it's not about you know where you're going to live it's not about moving to one nice suburb or another one it's, it's about how, how do you want to feel how do you want to feel you know and I, I and it, it was just a totally different point of view um and so this this kept happening this kept happening I would my dog would wake me up in the night and we'd go outside and then I'd hear this voice and whether I you know sometimes the moon was full sometimes it wasn't um but I would hear I would hear this voice telling me things, you know, uh, to slow down. Oftentimes it was, you know, you're just you're addicted to busyness and doing stuff, and just slow down and listen and think about how you're feeling, think about what you really want, and all these messages. So um, I was telling Ian, I started calling her the sorceress. But I, I told Ian about this because I thought I thought people would think I was crazy. <laughs> You know, I'm having conversations with the moon. I thought, who could I tell? Is that going to think I'm crazy, right? So I called Anne. I told her all about it. And um, she said, you know, to me, and she had a different, different background, different perspective from me. She said, it sounds like 
you're talking to the goddess Diana. She says she's the goddess of the moon or Artemis. Somebody say, um, you know, she, the goddess of the moon, and she's working through your dog, and she's also the goddess of the hunt. And so, you know, oftentimes in drawings or whatever, they show Diana with dogs. She said that's. She said you ought to do some research about the goddess Diana. And so I did. And um, so we continue to have these conversations, but. Um, the Barry Manilow thing, there was one night I went out in the night and, you know, we're having this conversation, getting ready to go back in and go back to bed. And she says, um, you know, there still might be Barry Manilow tickets available. <laughs> I was like, what? You know, it was the weirdest thing. But Barry Manilow was in town to do a concert in Raleigh and I had wanted to go. At this time, my husband had moved out of state to take another job and I was trying to decide if I was going to go or not. So I was still living in our old house. and um, you know, So he hadn't wanted to go. He was coming home for the weekend, but he didn't want to go see Barry Manilow. So I, at that time, I felt like I couldn't go because he didn't want to go. And But he had called and said that he wasn't coming home for the weekend. He had to work. And so here's I've got the, the moon goddess telling me that there's Barry Manilow tickets available for a concert that night. So I went in and got on my laptop and went on to the Ticketmaster, and sure enough, uh, there I got a like a seat in uh, something like the fifth row for fifty dollars. Wow! <laughs> and it was, wow! <laughs> and it was Barry Manilow. So wow! Concert. I'd never uh, gone to a concert by myself before, and I got this fabulous seat on the floor, and you know, sat next to really nice people, a young mother and her daughter, and we just had the best time and Barry was amazing and amazing yeah so I just (laughs) that's the most memorable event you will never forget right there wow Barry Manilow never been way before before my time 1983 baby but I have heard so many things about Barry Manilow that's awesome now as far as the moon (laughs) goddess though moon god has been around for forever though I mean this goes back to uh, Greek mythology, and then also yes. Moon Goddess has um, also been known to be an important density um, in many cultures around the world where they formed a central role in mythology, basically. So it's always been associated with the divine feminine. We just we never talk about those things, I guess, um, especially me. Greek mythology was always thought, okay, uh, as false fiction, you, you don't believe in it. But that's amazing. But I have heard of the moon Greek goddess, uh, Selene. I think that's how they pronounce it, Selene. Mm-hmm. Almost like Selena, but without the A. Um, and she yes, was the goddess of the too. moon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think different cultures have different names for her. Um, but, you know, it's like you said earlier, like there's many faces of God, you know, and um, I loved what you said earlier about you know there's nothing there's nothing unusual about this. It's okay, you know. God is um, part of nature and in the moon and and everywhere, right? And um, so it it seemed strange to me then that I was doing this, but it it, it came to become just natural. And yeah, the, God is is everywhere and wherever we we choose to see. Exactly. Now, in your journey. What was the role of Al Anon, if I said that correctly? Al Anon, yes. Um, so Al Anon is I'm kind of the uh, partner group to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. So if you're an alcoholic and you are seeking help, you go to Alcoholics Anonymous. If you are troubled by um, someone else's drinking, 
um, then you would seek out Al-Anon. So it's a partner group just for, to help people who are troubled by someone else's drinking. And people kept telling me for years that I should go to Al-Anon. And I was resistant. And I would say, well, I'm not the one with the problem. You know, he should go, not me. He should go to AA. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of it's like... Like I kind of think of Al-Anon as a friend that somebody's always trying to fix you up with, you know, <laughs> like, oh, you two should meet, you know, you'd love each other. And you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I finally did go because I didn't know what else to do. I was hoping to learn something that would help me fix him, you know, or get him to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And it turns out, um, it took me a long time to get this, that Al-Anon is not about fixing your alcoholic. It is about learning to detach from being obsessed with what your alcoholic is doing so you can focus on yourself. And it's about taking care of yourself and learning how to be your best self. And it can be frustrating because you know, when you start going, it's all you, you want to fix him. You want to fix your alcoholic. <laughs> and, um, you know, and they tell you, keep coming back. They, that's, that's their big phrase. You know, they say, keep coming back. You'll get it. Keep coming back. And you do, and you have to just listen and let it soak in. But once it does, um, they, they they talk about serenity, you know, and they, they say the serenity prayer, you know, the, um, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, and that's, that's really what it's all about. It's just to accept, you know, what you can't change. You can't change another person. All you can change is yourself. Um, but you can find that serenity once you accept that. Um, and so it, it's... Uh, very powerful organization and um, free, and it's in every community. Uh, so it's it's a great help for anybody who's troubled by someone else's drinking. Okay, okay, I got you. I'm understanding more now. Uh, what, so, in any other situation, someone is out there going through the same thing. What's your advice for others in that similar situation with the alcoholic spouse or feeling stuck and powerless, regardless of the situation? Yeah, I think the number one thing that I found is to love myself. And so that's, you know, and it, it's easier to say than to do. Um, you know, I was the, I was the mom and um, yeah, took care of everything. I was, the, I was the one who kept all the balls in the air, right? And, you know, I had this alcoholic who was kind of doing his thing of getting jobs and losing jobs and drinking himself to death. And I was taking care of everybody else's needs, Um before my own. And I think a lot of women do that. Um, but, but learning to uh, take care of your own needs and put yourself first. And if not first, at least ahead of where you were, you know, just gradually learning to take care of yourself and love yourself. Um, critically important. I also say surrender to your higher power, whatever that is. And we've talked about, you know, God can take on many faces, whether it's the goddess Diana or, you know, Jesus or whatever you believe in. Um, you know, and I've found several of those faces that resonate with me. Um, and another is, you know, don't feel like you have to decide anything or do anything right away, right? So, you know, take care of yourself and take action when the time is right. Um, you know, a lot of people, like I said earlier, a lot of my friends are like, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just leave? And it, I just wasn't ready. But when I was ready, I did take action. Um, so, you know, take care of yourself, surrender to your higher power, uh, take your time, take action when the time feels right. Find support, whether it's, you know, your friends, your church, your family, um, Al-Anon, you know, an organization that's designed to help you. Um, And so don't go it alone. That was one of the conversations I had with the goddess Diana. She said, don't go it alone. 
and she meant, you know, use my support systems, rely on them. Um, but I just can't overstress loving yourself. It can be hard when you are that one that's used to doing everything for everyone except yourself. Um, just take, take some small steps. Learn to say no. Learn to say no to people um, in commitments that just aren't right for you. Sometimes you feel like you have to say yes, you know, when you really don't even want to. Um, you know, and I, I tell people, take a bubble bath, you know, <laughs> light a candle, go Ooh. for a walk, you know. Notice mm-hmm. what you want to do and do more of that, right? Those are the, and those are the kinds of things I tell my coaching clients. I tend to attract clients who are very driven, kind of type A people who are looking for permission sometimes to slow down a little bit. You know, they feel like they have to accomplish everything now, you know. So um, I'm, not, I'm not the one that's going to pressure you or motivate you to get more done. I'm more of a calming influence. <laughs> so, um, you know, I just I encourage self-care, like I said, bubble baths and candles and walks and chocolate. <laughs> I'll stop there. I know that's right. And you said the magic key words here. You don't have to do everything at one time. I spoke about that on one of my Facebook lives. People get overwhelmed. That's how stress comes about. You want to accomplish so much. I need to get this done. I need to get that done. Break it down. First, list all of them, and then break them down into little mini tasks. And you'll see how much you get done. By the end of the day, you're the only one who's going to end up being able to do it anyhow. So why stress yourself? If you got to and put a deadline on it, this is when I need to get it done and then work it in certain many hours. But you will overwork yourself trying to be superhero of the year, not going to work. Only thing that's going to work, you're going to end up in a hospital bed. And with somebody telling you, you need to just go and take it easy. So go ahead and meditate, do yoga, whatever you need to mm-hmm. come in contact with your chakras. Go ahead and do it. I I advise you to do it. Take that breather. We all need we all need that break. Your body will your body will die out so quickly trying to overwork and do so much and then what we like to call multitasking, it's really not multitasking in our minds we think we multitasking because we're doing one thing and we're doing another. Actually it's all just doing one thing at a time. That's what it is. But our mind plays a trick on us to have a thinking, Oh, we're doing two or three things at one time. Yeah, actually not. <laughs> but that's uh, that's on a whole nother level. But um, now I noticed something. You changed your name from Becky to Rebecca during the course of your journey. Why? Uh, yeah, my given name is Rebecca, um, but I'd always gone by Becky ever since I was a little girl. My family called me and my friends. Um, but during the course of this journey that I took, this kind of healing journey, I, I changed jobs. I moved across the country. I ended my marriage. And my life was just so different. I, I just felt like I wanted to honor that with a new name. Um, and it was a little awkward at first. I, I remember, I mean, there were times I'd introduce myself as Rebecca, and then later I'd say, somebody would say, oh, I forgot your name. Tell me your name. And I'd say, Becky. And then they'd say, oh, somebody else would say, oh, I thought you said Rebecca. What do you want to be called? And I'd be like, oh, oh, you know, and I, I'd forget. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of awkward at first, but um, it, it took a little while to adjust, but now I, I just think of myself as Rebecca, and it's, it's really an honoring of my new life. Well, kudos, a toast to you for your new life. I love the new Rebecca. We got rid of old Becky. <laughs> Becky with the long hair, we're not dealing with you anymore, Becky. We got a whole new Rebecca, and I love that, <laughs> um, the fact that 
Becky to Rebecca. You would have thought maybe Rebecca to Becky, but that's a whole nother spin and twist around. And I honor that Rebecca. <laughs> that Rebecca got some. That Rebecca got balls. She took herself forward. Now I love your book. There is some interesting artwork on the cover of this book. Um, tell us about it. Who is behind this work? Yeah, um, my friend Margaret Miller. Um, and she's also a character in the book, by the way. She appeared. I worked with her, and um, she's my dear friend. But she's also an artist. And so, um, for those of you who haven't seen the cover of the book, it has a hand. It's actually a tracing of my hand. And uh, there's all kinds of little pictures um, within the hand and around the hand. Some some of them are um, symbolism from things in the book. Like there's a bear because I meet a spirit, you know, bear. And there's um, some things that represent Diana and, and various things. But um, a few years ago, uh, Margaret had showed me uh, what she called was a healing hand that she made for her brother. He was in the hospital, and she had traced his hand and done something very similar, put in a whole lot of little drawings of things that represented him and their relationship. And she called it a healing hand, and he hung it up in his hospital room and ended up um, recovering much more quickly. I mean, not necessarily because of the healing hand, but, you know, it's it's, um, something that she had made for him, and so she started doing them for other people, and I just thought, when she showed me the, that first one that she made for her brother, um, I just thought it was so beautiful, and I love the concept of healing hands, because as a Reiki master, I use my hands to promote healing, um, so when I started thinking about the cover of my book, I asked Margaret to create a healing hand for me, and she did, and she actually lives in Baltimore, and she flew out to California um, well, it was for my, my oldest daughter's wedding reception, but after the wedding reception, the, the next day we went out for dinner, she traced my hand and she started working on it. And um, so she continues to create customized healing hands for others. In fact, she's doing one now um, during the COVID-19 for um, washing hands. <laughs> so it's really kind of cool. It's kind of representing, you know, the, the whole um, healing through and, pre- and preventing infections by, by washing our hands. It's just beautiful. It it is most certainly just as beautiful as this this cover. It's so much going on. It feels like I'm in a Willy Wonka factory without the chocolates <laughs> or something. Like I'm at, I know Alice in Wonderland. It kind of put me in <laughs> the mind that a little bit, a little bit. Just oh. looking at the cover, you know, she went in there. She discovered so much, all the different creatures and stuff. But I love it. It was a lot. It's a lot of detail going on. But everything is outlined so perfectly. I mean, look at the swirls, like the color purple on here. Um, I mean, everything is so detailed in there. Even a little bit of dots is going around the petal of the flower. I mean, that's some artwork right there. The roses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really taking it. Yeah, the journey through that was really taken into consideration. There's no, there is definitely no rush me job right there. That was really done the right way. I love that cover. Yes. Cover means everything. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. That usually attracts me quicker than just the book itself. I I love a good cover. Now, so you also have a second book, but you wrote that with your friend Darlene. Tell us a little bit about that one and what's the significance of the name? Yes. um, Yeah, I I did mention a little bit earlier that uh, Darlene and I have been following a life planning process for over 20 years. And even though we learned it from a class, we've modified it significantly until it's really our own process now. Um, we've stayed in touch with one of our teachers from that original class, and she actually wrote the foreword to our book, 
and uh, talked a little bit about, you know, the, how we've changed it and yet still stayed true to the original course, which was really just about being intentional about your life and creating the life that you want. Um, and so we've been doing this, as I said, for over 20 years. And over the years, we would tell people about it and they would say, well, you should write a book about that. And so we started documenting our process and put a plan together to write some chapters and um, finally, we got together for a whole week and spread out what we had and just started writing like crazy. And the name fell into place because we have been talking on the phone without fail every Sunday evening at 8.30 Eastern time, um, ever since I moved uh, away from Rochester, New York, where we were both living at the time. And so it's called Sunday at 8.30, um, two decades of life planning because we've just been using this process for so many years. Part of our um, process is, you know, we read books together um, and um, one of Darlene's daughters said to us one day, why are you two going to stop reading books and start writing one? And at the time we just laughed, right? <laughs> but um, cause we just, we didn't see that as possible, but then I kind of got used to the idea and just started writing. Oh, wow. And look at where it's at now. Sharing this vision <laughs> with all so many women around the world, giving them knowledge, the encouragement, the strength to continue on. I'm, I'm loving every bit of this conversation. It's awesome. Now, so another part, too, I know we, I just talked about it a little bit about the Sunday at 830. This is another book list that's included in the Sunday at 830. Yeah, it's actually um, an appendix to the book, Sunday at 830, because I, I mentioned that we like to read books together. So part of our plan every year, um, and now that we don't live in the same community anymore um, we get together and we'll do a retreat usually early in the year January February ish and we'll uh, as part of our retreat we set our goals for the year and then we um, visit a bookstore together and we'll just kind of wander around and each pick out some books and bring them back to a table and kind of look at them and we'll decide what books we're going to read for the year together and when we both read other books too but um, we, we will set a plan and maybe read about a dozen books together. And so over 20 years, as you can imagine, we've got about 200 books that we've read. And so we decided as part of our book, uh, Sunday at 830, that we would create an appendix just listing all those books. And so, um, you know, we, we started, when we started out, it was, they were work-related books, you know, usually things related to our work at Kodak as engineers. So, you know, when you look at the list, you see that. Um, but then it branched out into all topics and some novels just for recreation um, so we put them in the appendix, and it ranges anywhere from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People to Jane Eyre. Um, we took two entire years and read the Bible cover to cover, <laughs> um, the Da Vinci Code. I mean, it's, it's all over the map. And we've had people tell us the praise of our book was worth it just to get the book list. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Now, you and Darlene use a little bit of a life planning process. Let's um, just a little bit about that one. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so we uh, did adapt our process from a course we took, and it was called the High Achievers Process. Um, but over the years, as I said, we've made it our own. And the first thing we do is we brainstorm individually. Each of us makes our own brainstormed list of everything we might want to do, want, things we might want to be, things we want to have. I mean, like 400 things. I know it sounds like a lot, but we'll list, it's just, the idea is just get everything out of your head, you know, kind of a brain dump. And we write everything down, no filters, no limits, and it's anything from buy socks to 
climb Mount Everest, you know, <laughs> I mean, anything at all. Um, so we, we just get that out there. And then um, we create a vision. We each write our own vision for ourselves um, for kind of five years out, what we would like our life to be like. And then we just select a few things to work on. So we've gotten everything out and this brain dump and this vision. And then it's like, all right, what are a few steps we could really take just to work towards that? And we pick, we have seven categories and they include stuff like health, financial, career, and so on. Um, so in our goals, we try to do things that we weren't just going to do anyway. And we try to push ourselves a little bit. And we check in with each other during our weekly phone calls. Um, and so, I mean, we don't talk about it every single week, but <laughs> sometimes we do just chat. But at least several times a year, um, we formally review our plan and our goals and how are we doing against those goals. And at the end of the year, we look at what we've accomplished and we just celebrate. And it's, there's no feeling bad about what didn't get done. It's just taking the time to feel great about what you did get done. Um, so in our book, we give the details about the whole process. And in, it's it's um, it's on Kindle, but it's also in paperback. And in the paperback version, there's actually some workbook pages where you can create your own life plan. Oh, good. I love those kind of books where I can in tune and do a little exercise activities. Those are my favorite. Mm-hmm. Now, across <laughs> across both books, Rebecca, there is an underlying, underlining theme here. Uh, what exactly is it? If I had to say one theme, it's about identifying and then choosing what you're like your life to be like and then taking the steps to achieve it. I think this thread is common in both books. If you think about my memoir, what I was trying to, um, you know, figure out what to do about my alcoholic marriage and and just not having that certainty and not having the confidence more than anything else, not having the confidence, but finally um, realizing that I could change my life, understanding that I even had a choice and then okay, now that I know that I have a choice, what is it that I want? <laughs> and then how do I get there? Um, so I'd say I, I kind of lived that in the, the Sunday, in the um, Rebecca Rising book, is kind of my story. And then in the Sunday Day 30 book, it's, it, it's more of a how-to, you know, <laughs> sit down with the worksheets and how do I do this? Um, so I, I would say it's about um, identifying, choosing what you'd like your life to be like, and then taking action. Mm-hmm. Taking control, you but you definitely have to make that choice first. Taking back what you uh, need to take back, and that's why I said in the beginning, that's exactly what you did for yourself, Rebecca. You took back that, you took back what was owed to you. This is my life. I'm not about to let you keep taking over, buddy. I need you to step to the side. <laughs> and my God, we got this. Because already in the back of your mind, even with your lifestyle, that how you were raised own God, you was a Presbyterian, hey, you already knew the right from wrong, but now I, I got to get in time. We lose, we lose mm-hmm. that track. We, we go astray, but now I'm back on that path and then had to wake up. Wait a minute. This is, I'm looking on the end. Let me look from the outside on the into the inside. This is not pretty. Oh, no, I got to jump back. So that's why I commended you at the beginning. I, I just keep saying that because that takes strong strength. It takes encouragement day by day, and then for you to have to put into a book, that's even better. That's even a bold move, you know. Not, I, I mean, I want to write a book, but I'm not even certain. But 
Oh, yeah, I got a story I always wanted to tell. You know, I might end up doing one about my mom, my lifestyle, but it takes encouragement to let the whole wide world know who you actually are. Now, uh, Rebecca, before we leave, I definitely want to know what's your final message you want to leave with us, and also where can we get this book? Oh, absolutely. Um, Well, I would say, you know, my final message to everyone is, is just, you have way more power than you know, and you can create the life you want. So go for it because you're worth it. And you can read more about my story and how I learned those things um, in my book, Rebecca Rising, and also Sunday Day 30. They're both available on Amazon, and they are available in Kindle form and also um, in paperback. Please visit me at my website as well. Um, my website is www.evolvewithoutlimits.com. And I'd love to hear from the listeners and I'm happy to talk more about coaching and um, aching and anything anybody would want to talk about. And I've enjoyed very much being here with you, Tanisha. Thank you so very much. It's been a pleasure. And, guys, if you're listening, please make sure you share, like, and tag. I also post on my Facebook story, so that still gives you time where you can go and listen. The archive is going to remain up anyhow. It's on Twitter. I posted that up. So definitely if you have any issue, you want to reach out to Rebecca, Get in touch with me. She gave you the information as well. And if you're listening to the replay, make sure you share this show because it's going to help add value to somebody else who needs saving out there. That's all we're doing. We're saving one life at a time. We might can't save many, but one life means so much more if we can get that one individual. But before I leave, I want to give you the truth for the day from my friend. Also was a former guest on my show, Mary Ellen Signovich. Create a space of tranquility. Create a place in your home for quiet contemplation. There we go. We're going back to the part where Rebecca was talking about getting to the yoga, get some quiet time to yourself to get in touch with yourself. Um, By creating this space, you are more apt to take time for stillness in your life. Through utilizing this place of calmness, your body will create an automatic response of relaxation. This is a great gift you can give yourself and your family. Today, take time to create a place. And everyone, enjoy the day Don't let anyone steal your peace. And I'll see you next time on the Bright Side with Technicia. Peace and blessings, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. 